Welcome to another episode of Leadership Amplified. I'm Karen Morley and I'm very pleased to have your company. The guest for this episode is Rowan Horsley. He started his career as a chemical engineer, but quickly moved into management of broader work aspects, including procurement, projects and contracts. This is where he became exposed to energy and greenhouse emission management and focused on thought leadership in that area. He then shifted into people leadership, initially of a small team in the energy management space, and then a larger multidisciplinary team in utility asset management. This led him to an opportunity to move into executive leadership of a large team in a multidisciplinary department, which covered regulatory and infrastructure matters in land development. He's more recently shifted gears again to focus on thought leadership regarding renewable energy transition. Rowan, thank you so much for joining uh, me today for this conversation on Leadership Amplify. Absolutely. Thanks for spending some time for a chat. Yeah, terrific. Okay, so first thing that we're going to focus on is your leadership career and journey. Really interested in, in hearing your reflections on you know, how you started leadership, how your leadership career developed, you know, how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I guess um, early on in my career, I was uh, in roles that required technical leadership rather than Mm -hmm. people leadership. Uh, And that involved really trying to influence um, people who weren't necessarily direct reports around um, sharing the same objectives as what I had uh, and Mm -hmm. getting them to come along on the same journey, whether that was around a project or another organisational objective. I then moved into roles to leverage that technical expertise that were people leadership roles, so more senior roles, um, Mm -hmm. bringing along initially small teams of direct reports uh, along on that um, journey as well to try and drive uh, outcomes for the organisations that I worked for. And that then evolved um, through into leadership opportunities of teams where I didn't have technical expertise, where Mm -hmm. the people who... Mm were reporting to me um, were much more the technical leader uh, and I was the people leader in those um, organisational structures, which was quite a quite an interesting change and something I had to adapt to fairly quickly. Yeah. Uh, and that I then love- led on to yeah. um, executive role around broader leadership of much larger teams, um, multidisciplinary teams, um, again, with people who were either Uh, technical experts and leaders in their own right, uh, along Mm. with um, individual contributors and and generally functional reports to those people, uh, which was, Mm. again, a bit of an adaptation required from me in that leadership journey. Yeah. That's led led me to where I am today. Hmm. Yeah. And where is that in terms of leadership? What's, if if you're like, what do you think is the contribution you're making to leading right now? So right now um, I'm involved in uh, a company that's looking to participate quite strongly in the renewable energy transition. So that yep. requires um, both leadership from a technical perspective and applying the skills and capabilities and knowledge I've gained in previous roles, um, along with trying to influence and drive mm-hmm. uh, outcomes through much broader cross-functional teams. Um, yeah. And those teams might include people from external um, organisational uh, partners uh, and also uh, other agencies that might be able to support us on our journey. Mm-hmm. So let's come back. I think it's so interesting to think about this transition from the technical into the leadership 
Um, and the, I guess the differences in perspective that that takes, but even, you know, your expectations when you became the technical expert, the engineer, were you thinking, what were you thinking your career would be? That's a good question because I, I guess my technical background is uh, in chemical engineering, but I didn't stay in chemical engineering very long. And I understand mm. that's quite common across yeah. um, engineering cohort. It's the case, I think, that you uh, become adaptable and when opportunities come along, you've got to be um, willing uh, to give things a go. Uh, you've got to be you've got to be willing to um, see that other people maybe uh, have identified you as someone who can perform in different roles and take take their advice in terms of being willing to uh, give them a go. And that's what that's what I found as well. I've I've been um, lucky in my career to be supported by uh, people leaders higher in the organisations at that time than I was, uh, and I've been able to adapt yeah. from a technical uh, leadership role into other leadership roles, um, partly uh, through the support of others in the organisation that had had a little bit of faith, should we say? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and. I think it is, it's an interesting sort of dilemma, this, the things that you're trained and developed in, in your education aren't necessarily the things that you're going to use for long, although you might say that there's a more general way of looking at the world that you bring to what you do. But on the other hand, you've not had the education and development to do a large part of what you're now required to do, and that is the managing and leading of teams. But how did you bridge it? So you had some support, but how did you bridge that gap? I think it was more around in my um, educational background. You learn a lot of hard skills. So you learn um, technical skills in in engineering or other such disciplines. Um, But I think in terms of exploring opportunities around leadership, you have to um, self-identify what soft skills you might have strengths in. Uh, and to that point, identify what soft skills you might have um, weaknesses in or shortcomings in and try to mm. uh, adapt uh, your leadership style around what your strengths and weaknesses are and work on those weaknesses. And that's probably yeah. where I've had to focus a little bit over mm-hmm. my career is to understand that you do that with feedback. Uh, we've, we've um, I guess, all been exposed to uh, different feedback uh, types, whether it's 360 feedback formally or whether it's informal feedback over coffee catch-ups and those types of things. But I think that's been an important thing for me is to try and take um, those opportunities uh, and take mm. that feedback in the in the manner mm. in which it's it's given, which is often uh, generously. Yeah. 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 And so in that first transition into leadership, how what did you do in order to make sure that you were successful? So I guess the first thing I did was try and understand the people who were reporting to me uh, in, mm. in, in that people leadership role. What I did find early on was that each of them were individuals and had their own characteristics, uh, had mm-hmm. their own strengths, had their own opportunity to contribute to the broader team in different ways. So I think the first thing I really tried to do was understand them as individuals. The yep. second thing I really tried to understand was how the team um, could deliver as a team more broadly rather than just a group of individuals, but how to leverage those yeah. individual strengths and capabilities yeah. um, to the broader benefit of the team and therefore for the broader benefit of the organisation. Yep. So those those and two it, steps yeah. were important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what, as you were learning about the, the sort of soft skills that you did and didn't have at that yeah. time, what, what were the ones that you relied on then? 
in in terms in terms of um, individual communication and speaking with people one on one and as yeah. uh, as as equals to a large degree because they also had technical capabilities that that mm-hmm. I I believed I had but they also certainly had uh, in a great measure as well so being able to switch between talking with people as an equal and a peer as well as talking to them as a leader mm-hmm. in a report and being able to adapt conversations around that dynamic. Uh, mm-hmm. I think showing people um, great levels of respect will bring out better outcomes from them than being uh, in, a, in a position where you're just being their people leader most of the time. I don't mm-hmm. think that uh, being a manager and being a leader is necessarily always the same thing, um, but certainly yeah. being able to uh, show, show them uh, that you do understand where their strengths are, do understand how they can deliver and support them to do that as as uh, as they best can uh, was mm. where I really tried to focus. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so that sort of transition from the technical into people leadership was happening increasingly and yeah. has been happening increasingly over yeah. your career to now you're at an executive level. So how would you comment on, I guess, seeing that sort of diagnosis or the balance or the adaptation you need to take between the two of them now in the, the role that you have? So, so it's interesting. In the, in the role that I have now, um, I d- don't actually have any direct reports. I've got more of a right. broader technical leadership, yep. but I've stepped out of a role that had um, responsibility for a large group of around 70 yeah. uh, people in that department. So that's been an interesting change and has allowed me maybe to focus a little bit more on the indirect leadership capabilities mm-hmm. uh, and being mm-hmm. able to influence uh, outcomes rather than being able to control outcomes. And I think yeah. that in itself uh, is always good for leaders to remind themselves of because you don't always have uh, control and command. You often have to use those softer skills to drive uh, the outcomes that you're after. So that, that that transition, I guess, through my career into greater people leadership roles, but then at the moment having to rely upon uh, indirect influence has been has been interesting, and it's been it's been a good opportunity to refresh some of those capabilities. Yeah. And um, what do you think is easier or harder you've got a a team and you can kind of use a bit more of that direct responsibility to get things done or uh, having a more of an indirect influencing role i think naturally naturally um people including me might say it's it's harder to have indirect influence but i think it really depends on the context and the circumstance and what the um activity or focus really is that you're driving towards Um, it can be the case uh, if if something is um, well known, well understood, and is being uh, repeated, uh, direct control can be quite quite an easy avenue. However, yeah. if you're in an area that hasn't necessarily um, been well defined, often trying to gain the input of others outside your direct um, group and influence them to support and uh, participate will lead to a better outcome because you 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 are exploring, you are being uh, a little bit more creative than you otherwise would and therefore it takes a different leadership style in my mind. So I don't think it's either or. I think it's being mm. able to be agile to the circumstances and the, the environment in which you find yourself. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I would agree with that entirely. I mean, I think the whole idea of having 
being able to move flexibly between perhaps a number of different leadership styles depending on the circumstances and in the sense, you know, how can I best use myself uh, to get the outcome that I'm seeking? I think that that is uh, a more useful way to think about leadership, although not necessarily how people are sort of schooled to think about leadership so much. Exactly, exactly right. Um, But I think... uh observing others around you and seeing how they lead in these different circumstances well can also help mm. understand what works well and what mm. maybe doesn't work so well yeah. uh, and yeah. identify why that's the case what's the context that that's happened in or what's the what are the capabilities that people are exhibiting or, or maybe coming short on yeah 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 i think that's a wonderful thing to be able to learn from the role models i know at this point in the conversation with some of the other people who've mm. um been interviewed for leadership amplified uh, often it's the negative role models that we're talking about um yeah. and hearing about some of the the sorts of leaders that you've had in the past and yeah. you know uh, i made a clear decision that i wouldn't be that kind of leader so it's yeah. great to be able to to hear about the the people around you who supported you um and yeah. learning from them yes. you know yes. do i you know with with any particular leader am mm. i feeling engaged and interested in what they're doing therefore let me figure out what they do so i can do some of that too exactly exactly and it's, it's always a little bit of a, an awakening if you find that you maybe don't have the same skills and capabilities they have but um try to seek the same outcomes through different avenues so it is it is yeah. interesting to observe yeah. it is interesting to observe yep. yeah yeah yeah, it sounds like quite a creative approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me, you're you're in this role at the moment we, without sort of asking you to to gaze into a crystal ball. What do you think at this stage? Are you likely to want to return to leading teams, or is that something that you're less interested in? Or yeah, I, th- I think um, naturally uh, my career. Uh, may involve leading teams uh, again into the future, direct direct mm. leadership of, of direct reports, yeah. that is. Um, yeah. I would think that's the case, and and that's probably why I haven't been too concerned about stepping out of a direct leadership role. Uh, for this role, it was more around um, trying to broaden my career opportunities yeah. um, in, in another industry. Uh, so, so I wasn't concerned around that, and I am not concerned around... Uh, uh, attract being attracted to another role where leadership uh, direct leadership is required mm. um i'm i'm not necessarily uh convinced that uh, one type of role or the other type of role is better than the other yeah. it's around what yeah. the individual role can offer you and how you can mm. best achieve outcomes and focus on mm. what is important in those mm. roles do they require uh, people leadership or do they require indirect uh, leadership of influencing others those yeah. types of uh, attributes yeah and heading back into a more direct mm. leadership role, you bring, you know, the nuances of what you've developed um, with your indirect leadership skills. Um, I, th- so I think I, that's I, the case. I think it only benefits and contributes really yeah. nicely to, to leading directly. Partic- particularly with, with who you're leading, I think um, as you develop in your career and as you uh, become a leader of more senior people, leaders of leaders, for example, mm. Mm. They do require a different leadership style, yeah. uh, and and also, uh, as there's been, I guess, broader macro changes in the in the workforce over the last couple of years, um, 
let's not mention COVID too much, but people are looking for different things out of their leaders as well. And I think mm. that like you used the word nuance before, I think there are a few nuances that have come out around leadership at the moment. And, um, you know, a greater emphasis on trust is one thing, mm. uh, a greater emphasis on looking for people to um, operate a little bit more independently, uh, but also deliver in a, in a remote team environment, those types of uh, leadership yeah. capabilities of being able to get to get people to perform in that in that context uh, does involve some nuances uh, and does yeah. involve some more challenges for leaders. And I certainly see some of those aspects as as a challenge that um, I'll need to adapt to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a great point. I mean, there, there's such a, a you know a, a debate, I suppose, about remote and hybrid work and whether that's valuable and whether it increases productivity and all those sorts of things. But I think what it is doing is throwing up a new way in which we need to interact. Um, And I think the challenge for leaders is pretty big, but you still need to connect with people. You still need to have those one-to-ones as you talked about earlier, just because people aren't in the same office doesn't mean you're absolved of that responsibility and it it kind of gives you more responsibility to make sure those things happen and you know they happen in a a meaningful sort of way yeah and coming back to your point uh previously around observing leaders and what who does what well and who maybe doesn't do so well i've certainly noticed observing um peers and leaders uh in in my organization and in others who does that well and there's some that have got a natural ability or natural uh disposition i guess to informally uh check in with people uh quite frequently and those that Mm. stick to a regimented formal approach and maybe neither is perfect on their own but being um, able to use a hybrid approach as we are in many contexts these days um, being able to have those formal and informal interactions uh when you are working remote from people who are important to your work uh, is important and yeah. being, uh, being uh, naturally disposed to be able to do that will be a leadership characteristic that's valuable going yeah. forward, I think. Yeah, yeah. And indirect leadership styles probably actually play a pretty big part in the yeah. in the new um, armoury for leaders. I, I think so, I think so, yeah. yes. Yeah. One of the things that people do talk about um, in terms of remote hybrid work is this whole notion of productivity and making sure you get the right performance and there are mixed camps on that but i'm i'm quite interested in pursuing the the sort of subject that we talked about earlier in terms Mm. of the performance of teams um and how you can you know get teams focused around performance i mean the role of the leader is to get you know work and performance to direct it um to produce help people produce the outcomes that you seek yeah tell us about your take um on that so I think in terms of in terms of that, generally people want to perform. I don't think there's a lot of people out there who who are uh, seeking to not perform in their role. So if you take that as the as the foundation assumption, uh, it can it can lead to good things. So first thing that I found is useful is with the team, not in not independent of, of the team, but with the people who report to you, try and define what is important. What are the objectives that we should be focusing on as a team? What are the outcomes that the organisation needs us to deliver? And that can be across a broad range of fronts. Um, once once the team is agreed on that, um, and there's certainly 
plenty of opportunity in my mind for teams to influence their leader around what that should be. I, I don't think mm-hmm. it should all come from the leader, but this is an opportunity for the for leaders to um, encourage their people to play a key um, leadership role within their own teams, to define those objectives, to define those um, outcomes that the the team and the organisation are seeking. Once that's done, I think there's a further opportunity to identify how you measure performance. Mm. And how you identify how people can contribute to that performance. Different people yeah. will be able to contribute different things. Yeah. Uh, so how do you um, identify what's important? How do you understand how to measure imp- improvement or performance or achievement of those goals? And then yeah. how do you understand how people can contribute back to that? Mm. Uh, yeah. And if if you do that well, and it may not be done perfect first time, um, but if you do that well, you'll find people take ownership. And as soon as they've got ownership, as soon as they want to um, naturally uh, achieve and perform, uh, good things can happen fairly quickly. That's what I found in the teams I've led previously and in the teams that I have been led in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this whole, uh, I mean, it makes sense, obviously, that that people uh, have an involvement, especially when you're talking about, you know, highly trained, very skilled, uh, technical, uh, professional people. I mean, this whole issue of measuring their performance, though, and making sure you've really got, you know, the right focus, the right measures. I think getting measures of performance can actually be really very difficult. So what... what what are your secrets around that, Rowan? So I think it. I think it's a case of not necessarily uh, limiting yourself to maybe what's worked in the past, but thinking about what what can what else can work. So uh, certainly, uh, hard data is one thing that people will naturally yeah. leap to, uh, mm. but it, it not necessarily just hard data. There can be uh, a, a range of other inputs and a range of inputs that might challenge people that might be seen as um, controversial, that might be seen as unhelpful. But it's around framing for me in terms of how do you take uh, a range a range of measures. Uh, some of those might be backed up, as we said, by hard data. Some of them might be backed up by softer inputs. But how do you turn those into productive measures that the team can adapt to and see the benefit in in measuring them and see the benefit in improving them? And once once the team, um, w- which would have ideally participated in that process, once the yeah. team um, agrees to those measures, you'll find that they take ownership of the outcomes and the performance under them. Uh, mm. But it may be the case that they need to be revisited periodically as well. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. because something's written down doesn't mean it's set in stone and it should be adaptable yeah. and flexible. And what works and what doesn't, we might, I've found in the past that, you know, you can spend endless amounts of time trying to improve performance on something that maybe doesn't matter as much as you thought exactly. it did six yeah. months ago. Yeah. So it's about yeah. revisiting and about reconfirming that you are working mm. on the right things and, mm. and really focusing in on what is important. Yeah. So what sort of method do you use or how, how do you approach that with people? I, well, I guess it's it's been approached on a range of different ways. One would be um, looking at, uh, a cl- you know, classic dashboarding of performance measures mm. uh, and that has worked in the past where we've had teams that have measured and managed their performance against uh, hard measures, but that doesn't always suit 
uh, everyone's personality types. So you've mm. got to soften that in my mind a little bit sometimes with things that are a little bit more subjective. You can have a lot of objective uh, data information. Sometimes introducing some subjectivity uh, helps other people uh, adapt to having their performance measured and reported and being held accountable to. Mm. There's also uh, methods we've used in teams that I've led in the past around filtering down um, organisational objectives into team objectives and then into mm. individual objectives. Yeah. And that might sound easy, but every time it's we've tried it, it's been it's been quite challenging. It's been quite challenging. Yeah. yeah. But what I have found is that there's a balance that has, um, I guess, evolved. And that is there needs to be a balance between what the leader determines and prescribes and what the individuals can identify and create for themselves in terms of those measures mm -hmm. and, and the linkage back to the organisation. How are they showing how what they are hoping to achieve and seeking to uh, understand and, and, and create as their own objectives, how that links back to the organisation. And if they take part in that identification process of those linkages, it can actually be quite a good thing for them and it can unleash a little bit of creativity in the team that you might not mm -hmm. otherwise have got. So I think in terms of getting the organisation's objectives understood, filtering those down through the teams and having that balance between what leaders are asking for but what people can self-identify for their contribution, mm. that could be quite a good thing to have that balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes quite a bit of clear thinking, I think, to it get does. to performance measures. Um, it takes quite a bit of time to do what you've already yeah. talked about, but there's also yeah. some clarity of thinking about what the measure actually looks like, and I suspect that you might be quite good at that. So how how do you do it? What do you how do you know when you've got a good measure? So I think a good a, like you said, it does take time. Starting to define these measures at the time of setting performance plans isn't necessarily going to work um, yeah. and I, I've, yeah. I've seen that fail in the past yeah. it, it does take time to prepare uh, it does take time to review what's worked and what hasn't worked in the past and it does take time to try and de determine those direct linkages between mm. what you're measuring and what you're managing and it might sound simple but it can often be confused yeah. uh, that something sounds like it's linked but it's actually not or it sounds like it's a uh, there's a high correlation between mm. something you're measuring and the performance of the team um, mm. that we are seeking to improve or, or to sustain. Uh, but that correlation might in reality be quite low. Uh, so it's a, it's a case, I think, of um, being early in the process in terms mm. of identifying what you want to measure, uh, not being afraid to trial things uh, and yeah. understand that some of those might fail and being upfront and clear with the team around that so that they yeah. don't buy out of the process very quickly if you do start to change things. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's uh, often supported if they're the ones who actually determine if things are working yeah. or not. Yeah. Asking them to be um, honest and upfront around, uh, is this performance um, technique uh, that we're seeking to embed being um, constructive or is it actually being distracting? Uh, and that can that can be quite quite an interesting uh, conversation to have um, because you can get people who come out with it from a personal perspective or from an organisational perspective. Uh, so yeah. it can be quite an interesting conversation to have. Mm -hmm. mm. Sounds mm. That's great. Um, yeah. So I think sometimes bringing that nice um, focus around what it is we need to do 
um, how can we measure it? And then having people both involved in that, but also agreeing to it at the end of the day. So that when you do yeah. come to the performance plan yeah. and the review of performance, it's crystal clear what's been done. Um, that's right. That's right. And I also think it's important if we if we think about what that next logical step is to assess that performance and understand how that interacts with mm. um, you know leadership of that team. Making sure it's understood that um, we're not seeking to have a blame mentality within the team. And if yeah. performance isn't good, um, you know, the, the, the beatings will continue until morale improves type approach. <laughs> yeah. It's it's often the case, and, and this has been an important, I guess, learning in parts of my career is to always have a root cause analysis approach to team performance and focus and, you know, ask the five whys around why something might not be going as well as it could within the team or, or for the team. Um, and often it's found that it's not necessarily an individual or a, or a team's um, people that are at fault. It could be a system. It could be a process. It mm. could be um, an assumption that's not valid. Mm. It could be a whole range of things. So in terms of um, we've talked a little bit around trying to identify what's important, trying to identify how to manage it and report on that. But it's another thing to understand how to improve that performance. And one of the first things I think mm. is important, particularly for a leader, is to be able to identify what that root cause of um, either success or shortcomings is and make sure that the first point of call isn't necessarily the people that you're leading. Because sometimes there might be someone who who has to focus on their own performance, but often it's uh, something else that's underlying that. And it's important to be able to be um, generous enough with time and capacity to, to delve into it. Yeah, yeah. I think that very much a need to be generous with mm. time and capacity when it comes to performance that maybe is a little off not meeting yeah. standard. I mean, just yeah. recently I had a conversation with a very senior leader, someone who's, mm-hmm. you know, had quite a lot of experience in their career and has received some feedback about performance not being up to scratch and yeah. you kind of think, oh, how can this mm. sort of happen? Mm-hmm. You know, because there's someone who's more than capable of the right kind of performance. I, you know, I trust that that's the case. Yeah. Um, and then there's an organisation obviously unhappy but they're not getting the performance they want. So there's all this misunderstanding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is painful for everyone. It, it can be, but it need not be. And this is this is where maybe there's, there is this opportunity for leaders to um, see what has worked for others well and see what maybe doesn't work yeah. so well for them and, and see how they can adapt other styles into their leadership frameworks mm. that they apply. Um, because it is it is the case that um, a lot of relationships and a lot of careers are maybe um, don't progress as they should because of these misunderstandings. Yes, yes, I think so. I think it's something that seems super simple, doesn't it? That's, we just measure performance, no worries. But exactly. actually, it's not. And you can you can get it. You know when. People are performing well and the circumstances for the organisation are, are good. You, you don't need to worry about that so much. But when there's yep. a little fly in the ointment, that's, that's where right. it all comes uh, crashing that's down, right. just to right. mix my metaphors there. <laughs> <laughs> so what about the circumstance where, you know, in a team, um, you know, more than the sum of its parts and you've got individuals performing mm-hmm. at different levels. So um, what's the difference between thinking about the overall contribution of the team versus the contribution of individuals? 
That's a that's a really good a good question. I think it it comes down to this qu- this question mark around uh, performance versus potential, mm-hmm. and who who is uh, in the team um, performing to their potential, uh, because it can be it can be the case where um, people are great individual contributors. Um, yep. have reached a point either early or late in their career where they um, believe that they're, they're uh, adequate in what they're doing and that's about all that they're, they're likely to do, for good, for, often for good reason, um, mm-hmm. versus other people who may or may not be living up to their potential for a range of different reasons and being able as a leader uh, to identify that, understand it um, and work with that person to get them to perform to their potential. Uh, it's it's um, been the case in teams where I've seen in the past people have been, I guess, slowed down in their careers because of um, issues that have occurred in the past. Uh, but they're looking in a lot of circumstances for their next leader to be able to move past those uh, historical challenges they've had and give them a bit of a fresh lease on their career. And mm-hmm. that's worked quite well. That might have required in the past um, in teams I've led, for example, where people um, have benefited from a job change, where people yeah. have benefited from a direct leader change, uh, where people have benefited from uh, an environment change, whether that's working uh, somewhere different, doing the same job, but from a different place. Yeah. And I think in terms of getting people, different people in a team um, to perform such that that team is working as best it can, uh, it goes back to what we we're talking about at the start. You've got to understand those individuals, lead them in a way that suits their personality, suits their style, mm-hmm. uh, and get them to contribute to the team in ways they can uh, with the skills they've got strengths in. Uh, but where they want to grow, um, give them those opportunities to stretch a little bit as well. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's fantastic unless you've got people who want to kind of grow in the same direction or whether you where you get that kind of competition how do you manage the more competitive side of sort of unleashing everybody's potential and really getting that clear focus on performance yeah that's a good question i i guess i haven't necessarily had within uh my team this challenge of internal competition but oh. i certainly have had uh teams that have seen themselves as having to compete with other teams in the same organisation. So looking at that um, cross-functional dynamic uh, between what one team uh, believes it should be doing and should be focusing on and what another team believes it should be doing and focusing Mm. on. Um, And often that can come to a head if one team thinks it should be the leader of another team. And that can be quite challenging. Um, But I think that's around... uh, Again, identifying what the challenge is and then working with people in your own team and um, across in the other team to influence them um, to understand this dynamic and and understand how best the two teams can work together. That might be because mm. uh, two different teams might have different um, strengths themselves, you yeah. know, across those teams, or it may be the case that um, there is a there is a genuine challenge here and it needs to be worked through. And that comes down to, you know, really clearly defining accountabilities, responsibilities what the organisation is looking for, um, which teams might have capacity, which teams might have uh, an opportunity to, to stretch themselves as well. Um, so, so that internal competition, um, in my circumstances, I've only experienced, as I said, between teams, mm. but that internal competition can be destructive uh, if not mm. uh, addressed. But it can be 
uh, something that can be rectified so long as everyone can be given the opportunity to show that they're providing value and also um, be given the opportunity to show that their contribution is respected and it's not being uh, necessarily uh, less valued than others. And I think that's important to recognise is that people do want their contributions to be valued and respected. Yeah, yeah, they do. I find I find that interesting. I must say I wholly agree with you that the, um, you know, where competition surfaces, mm -hmm. you need to manage it rather than, well, you need to manage it. You need to kind of get rid of it. You mm -hmm. need to work it out, what's going on yeah. and why is this yeah. happening and what yeah. can we do to kind of, uh, diminish that competition as opposed yeah. to those leaders who seek to yeah. increase competition and yeah. who see that as particularly team-based or, or between uh, team competition mm. see that as probably leading towards better performance I'm not I'm not convinced of that at all myself I, think, I, I guess my observation has been it, it might it might be able to lead to um, a perception of increased performance in the short term but it can also lead to unintended consequences um, that are disruptive uh, and potentially detrimental in the medium to longer term. Uh, and that will be, um, if you make people compete, they'll find a way to win. And that may be within the rules and it may not be within the rules. Uh, and those unintended consequences can rear up. Um, mm. So in terms of um, uh, competition, uh, some healthy um, measurement and, and acknowledgement of good performance can be quite good, uh, but in terms of pitting people against each other, uh, you, you don't hear too many good stories in the long run around how that's worked out. And and I haven't I haven't necessarily seen that myself. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah thank you. Rowan, thank you. It's been a fascinating conversation. I've really enjoyed, in particular, the the focus on performance and the clarity around understanding what it is people need to do, um, as well as the flexibility in how that gets set up and um, how you assess that um, and develop and adapt over time. That's been fantastic. As we close, what would your final kind of words be around leadership, things that you think are really important for other leaders to pay attention sure, sure. to? Given the theme of the conversation has has had a lot to do with performance, and I think it is worth always keeping uh, in front of mind, not necessarily at the back of mind, that the accountability performance does sit with the leader at the end of the day. Mm. Uh, and it is important to make sure you're spending an appropriate amount of time to assess and understand and manage your own performance as well as that of the team. Yes. Uh, and that does require uh, seeking feedback, uh, whether it's from the team, from your peers, from your leaders, uh, mm -hmm. and assessing yourself against that feedback in a fair and um, even uh, approach and understanding how you can improve your own performance to help the team improve its performance as well. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. <laughs> so it's not it's not all about the team. I mean, it's the role and the responsibility of the leader to get the most out of the team. And at the end of the day, it is. Yeah, a, a great summary of the conversation. So Fantastic. once again, Rowan, thank you so much for joining Leadership Amplified. It's been a, a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Thank you. No, it's been a great opportunity to have a, have another conversation, Karen, and I look forward to another one, uh, maybe not recorded one into the future. <laughs> <laughs> we can do that. Thanks so much, Thank Stephen. Bye-bye.